It is about trying to go to that next level, trying to break that mold of not just function, but what somebody wants, what's, what somebody needs. So uh, there, that's one of my main questions when I interview anybody in the first five minutes, which is what are you looking for? And that means what, does, what do they need, right? So if you want to be a professional cyclist, you have physical needs. It's a job. And so you should be able to um, obtain that. Um, and sometimes it takes a specialist, somebody that has a lot of education and may have a, um, a physical therapy degree. And it, that should be accessible to anybody. Welcome to the Training Edge Podcast. I venture to say that every single athlete has been injured at some point or another. How athletes respond to those injuries can sometimes totally alter their careers. So oftentimes injuries can be scary and athletes biggest nightmare. Back in episode two, I chatted with Abby Levine about injury and sport. But for this episode, I wanted to jump into how do athletes go about keeping injuries from happening in the first place. My guest today is Larry Meyer, who is the founder of Build Sports Performance Lab here in Boulder and Louisville, Colorado. Larry has a huge background in working with athletes and has a wealth of knowledge to pull from. So it was a pleasure chatting with him about the use of physical therapy and biomechanics to help athletes. For many athletes, and I was in this camp once upon a time, Think of physical therapy just as means to fixing yourself once you have already done damage. But Larry and I got into how it can be quite a bit more. And if that's the case, it can prevent the damage early. Okay, let's dive into the conversation with Larry from Build Sports Performance. All right, Larry, good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, how are the studios doing now that they are, they are open? Uh, much better. We are um, doing pretty good now. Uh, during April was pretty slow. Uh, we were able to stay open, but uh, uh, now things are picking up. Nice, nice. And you are seeing people for all services again? All services, That's yeah. That's awesome. Biomechanics. Uh, of course, we're a physical therapy clinic, so uh, we've been seeing that through the whole, the whole beginning and all the way till now. Did you feel like you had a uh, downward trend in people that were comfortable coming in to see oh certainly therapy. really yeah people were uh would call and try to check us out verbally and just oh, you really? know and <laughs> to be expected so yeah uh, they would come in and uh we we do the same thing that we started in march though you know we take every precaution at the front door and and then try to do everything we can to protect them inside and yeah it's been great good nice all right um, so I asked you on the podcast today because I wanted to chat about the importance of physical therapy and biomechanics to athletes. Um, yeah. I was the classic athlete for the longest time and overlooked that importance sure. um, of making that uh, your body your top priority and how it operates. Um, I didn't do strength work until about the middle or late portion of my career. I didn't see a PT till a little before I actually started seeing you. Um, I did 
did do a decent amount of massage and other things, but that was more uh, during a race or the classic like leg flush. Um, So there wasn't a whole lot, I think, that was really truly accomplished out of that. Um, I do believe that it is becoming more common uh, for athletes to take a holistic approach and then Mm -hmm. coaches to uh, encourage that. And I do see more athletes working with a physical therapist or a chiropractor or a strength coach. Um, and I do think that is changing sports for the better. Yep. Um, but I wanted to do a deep dive into why that is important and what can be gained for athletes to do that of all types. Yeah. Uh, to, so to start out, I'm going to throw out a little bit of a story. Um, fairly recently, actually, earlier in the year, I was having knee issues. Um, I came to see you. I was, uh, I don't know if I made it apparent, but I was concerned. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it was a rather short assessment or assessment by you. And, um, you did some tool work and basically told me to give it a few days and some icing and I was fine. And, uh, you know, that is something as a coach, I have told athletes to do countless times. And it's, um, but it, you know, as an athlete, it is, you just, freak out so much more, um, when you were dealing with an injury. So one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about was actually the mental side of things. Um, because I think athletes just in general tend to freak out when things are going awry or when things are getting in the way. Um, and then they tend to take improper steps to help. So first question, what do you think an athlete experiences on the mental and emotional side when they are injured? That is a great question. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, so we have a, an A-frame that sits out outside in front of our clinic and people walk by and it says physical therapy on it or it says biomechanics and people will notice that um, they can get help in different ways. And I think it's uh, quite unique to see um, what type of person actually responds to that and, uh, you know, like if you have a an injury or you have soreness irritation i think everybody kind of goes through this phase where you kind of ignore it right kind of like a cold you don't take care of it until then you say oh fine i'm sick right yeah so once you kind of put into your brain that you need to seek help and at what level then uh it's a commitment and it's a commitment to the word injury and that's kind of frightening, especially when you're a professional athlete, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, my, I, my job is to find physical problems and to restore a previous position of health. And that's really what I do. I remediate or I compensate um, an injury. And um, so it, it's kind of a play on words. And I, I, I'll admit it. I sometimes will downgrade the semantics or the words about injuries just to help people feel more comfortable. Because I think uh, uh, if people don't feel comfortable with it, they just will ignore it. And that doesn't help anybody. Hmm. How often do you think athletes ignore it for a period of time? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they will, you know, it's an irritation that plagues them. And I'll ask them sometimes. I'll say, uh, you know, what is your bum ankle? What is your bum knee? Right? Because it kind of helps them say, this is the part of my body that I don't like most often. So they'll, you know, downgrade it as that's my weak side or, and, bad uh, side. <laughs> right. And so, uh, I think, so they, they establish that it is not as strong and powerful, but they are okay with their performance. And so they will, 
kind of bypass that for a while. And then, but they'll, you know, inevitably people get to the point where they'll say, um, it's time. Uh, but then there's also the other person that as soon as they get one little tiny uh, episode of pain, then they'll die right in. Oh, right? Interesting. Okay. So the, basically what you're saying then is it's almost like a denial for most people in a way. And once they admit to it, it becomes real or it's they real. have to fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The word becomes real. Last thing you want to hear is injury, and then you want to hear the prognosis. To what extent? Yeah. What's the intensity of this injury? Yeah. Um, that's you know the good or bad news. Give it to me straight, doc. Right. Yeah. They want to hear what uh, what's going on, um, and I, I I actually enjoy that part of my job because I like to help people understand um, step by step, uh, even if it is bad. This is what you can do to help yourself. Um, yeah. Because my job is not to give bad news. My job is to help actually give good news yeah. which is yeah you have a problem but um i'm gonna be able to help you yeah and i guess for the next step once they admit that there is a problem it is what is the problem which you know athletes are fairly impatient types so they of course want the, the solution or i guess the yep. end date as soon as possible yeah um i have an athlete recently that uh is waiting to figure out if he needs surgery on his hand or not yeah. and that is it's like a week and a half turnaround to see the specialist um so he has a week and a half to wait to see if mm. it's surgery or not and what the recovery time is and it's killing him it is yeah. like destroying him mentally yeah. um do you i guess within that contrast then the two people that you know the moment they get an injury they come and see you and then the athlete that takes forever because they don't want it to be true how do you recommend athletes then respond when they have some issue or some, I know it's a wide array of things, but yeah. Well, so when I first started as a clinician, I would, uh, uh, I would take kind of the safe route and I would say, you need to limit your activity. And once you say that to an athlete, it's like giving them a death sentence, right? Especially if that's their (laughs) job and they're a professional. And, uh, so I learned my lesson and I try to, and I, and I actually believe this, uh, including for myself, is that you need to stay active. And, I, and it's my job as well to, to help them find the activity that's going to keep them going um, while they're waiting, hmm. right? So um, this athlete of yours, um, he should be doing something. He should be maintaining his, his, uh, his mental health as well. Um, so it, it doesn't help anybody when you try to shut them down and, and um, redirect them to a, a safe space, right? So um, I think that uh, once you move forward with uh, the next step, then uh, they're prepared for that much better. Hmm. Okay. I like that. Um, I guess, so you mentioned a safe space. Yeah. What is what is a safe space to an athlete? Oh, what is a safe space? That's a great question. Um, so where they feel like they're achieving something, right? Yeah. Cause we're all athletes are about achieving a goal, right? Training. They have instructions from their coach and they have a race that they need to accomplish. So they're always trying to get stuff done, right? So if you take away that safe space, then, uh, that it's sometimes it's kind of very detrimental to them. Yeah. I've had athletes recently taking breaks. Yeah. Um, and I've found that, yes, it's important for athletes to step away and have nothing on their plate and be mentally refreshed yeah. um, and physically. But 
you you know actually if you give them things to do during their off season quote yes. unquote they uh they come back in a better place so it might be something as simple as like you need to stretch every day for yes. 10 minutes or maybe like you need to uh go for a walk or right. something very simple yep. um yeah so, you know something that helps them right yeah i i i uh Recover? Do you like recovery rides? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. I did. I did. You did. Yeah. As a as a pro, I did. Yeah. So whenever I did a race in the past, um, I I didn't necessarily like recovery rides because I thought they were useless and <laughs> they made me pain. Uh, I felt I felt like I uh, was in more pain. I didn't get the endorphin rush. Right. Mm, okay. And so uh, if you can have somebody, the, your athlete, some athlete, uh, uh, do something that gives them that same rush that same uh, mental stimulus i think it certainly helps you liked training or uh, recovery rides okay i guess i should rephrase i liked (laughs) i liked recovery rides when i was training full-time yeah sure um because it was the one time that i was it was okay and my coach told me to go easy yeah right um and uh way back when when i was younger and i used to go on recovery rides I learned from a teammate because I kept dropping him on recovery rides uh-huh. and he would just be like, dude, what are you doing? Like yeah. that is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Right. Um, but yeah, that found it as such a good mental release where I didn't have to worry about inter- intervals or anything. But I think what I talk to my athletes about right now within regards to recovery rides is does this add mental stress? Because if it adds a mental stress, mm. then it's defeating the purpose. Yeah, um, sure. And for some it, it provides uh, that relief where they can just ride easy. And for others, it just adds like another thing to check off their list. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually, usually the difference, yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So do you always, or did you always gravitate towards trying to help athletes become better athletes? Uh, uh yeah. So I think, uh, I'm a systems guy, so I like systems. So I like to, uh, uh, I have a previous life of working uh, with uh, electronics and machines, and so I, I, I fix systems, and I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed uh, systematically checking off problems and finding the main solution, right? So, but I like working with people, and so when I transitioned to being a, a physical therapist, um, uh, getting a degree in my undergrad in kinesiology, um, exercise science, basically, um, it was about helping the athlete and understanding their systems. Right. And so um, over the course of being a a physical therapist, I learned biomechanics, you know, and working in movement analysis. And that to this day, I don't ever feel like I ever get tired of that because I love to watch people move. And it's always interesting to see people's uh, movement patterns. I never get bored of it. And I learn something every day. And so there is an intrinsic part of this that I enjoy. Right. And uh, then I also like to see the smiles. I like to see people saying thanks. You know, this, that totally is uh, an amazing feeling. Like, you know, when I do a bike fit and I'll make the last small adjustment and someone says that's that okay. feels amazing. And I get that smile, not with a mask nowadays. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, that's the best feeling um, is to help transition them into a new outlook. Nice. Yeah. Like the, the satisfaction. Yeah. I get that same thing with uh, with working with athletes too. Yeah. So when you were getting into it all, 
what was your drive at the time? What, why did you get into biomechanics? Why was that intriguing mm-hmm. to you in the first place? Yeah, because I didn't understand it. Yeah, okay. I, was, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, people would say, do you see that? When people would move, and I'd say, I don't. And, huh. But I wanted to know. And then I think uh, I'm a, somewhat of a doubting Thomas, and I just wanted to, to know. Uh, I wanted to know the truth about what they were doing. So data, collecting data, this, the beauty of data. I think that is beautiful because it tells you a story about um, what's going on. And so when you take, you look at someone and you suspect that that's what's going on with them and you collect some data, there's nothing better than that confirmation because the mm-hmm. doubting Thomas in me is like, yeah, okay, hmm. I understand this better now. So every single day I learn something. So um, yeah. why data instead of information or knowledge? Uh, you know, uh, so you, uh, every year people should get uh, a physical, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you get a blood panel test, Yep. right? And people want to, people are concerned, um, people in their, you know, 45 and up or, you know, I might have, uh, high cholesterol, right? So, uh, you're worried your friends and family, maybe you've had a, a family member that, uh, has, um, had an episode, an event that uh, has made you worried about your cholesterol, right? Family history of cholesterol. You're worried, you're worried. And uh, you're worried about one piece of data. And you get a phone call unexpectedly from the nurse. They say, I want to give you results of your blood test. And you go, oh. And that nurse says, uh, looks good. You've got uh, 142 for uh, total cholesterol. That one number, one piece of data, um, gives you a whole twist of your day and a, and a better outlook for what you've been doing in your life. Mm-hmm. One piece of data. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. That is a, I like that. It's a different perspective than I've heard, and I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. You specialize with working within uh, runners and cyclists, correct? Correct. How did that start? Why that? Uh, well, I, I like... Obviously, I loved being uh, a cyclist. Uh, I, I wish that I had the body type to be a runner because I really enjoy watching runners, uh, their form, yeah. um, and breaking down the pieces of the running gait, uh, the phases of the running gait. Um, I, I, I like all sports. I played uh, college football. I played high school basketball, football track. I love watching sprinters. I love rotational-type sports, team sports. Um, I suppose because of, uh, uh, I have a son who's a, a racer, a mountain bike racer. And, uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm involved with that. I'm involved with helping coaching that. Um, so it's always been something that I, um, have had a lot of interest in. And then runners was just a natural transition. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of triathletes in the past. And so it was always a natural transition, even though I don't work with swimmers really. I think that's I'll leave that up to swimming physical therapists. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. All right. I get that. Um, So going into physical therapy, what is physical therapist to you? What is a physical therapist to me? Oh, like I said before, um, physical therapy is about either remediating an injury or compensating for an injury, right? So um, that is, in a nutshell, what I believe physical therapists should be doing for people, right? Rehabbing an injury, um, assessing people, looking for a set of problems, but also addressing their strengths, 
And so you can use strengths for anybody, um, for an athlete, um, helps them with, again, that mental piece. Um, and you need to say that. Um, I think too many physical therapists say too many problems. Um, and I, but I think they do a really good job of uh, categorizing problems and trying to systematically um, address them, right? And so I think physical therapy in general is a, is a great profession uh, for movement strategies overall. I think uh, there's some amazing physical therapists that deal with nutrition, that deal with uh, all the components of geriatrics, pediatrics, neuro, neuro, and there's all different um, sex, if you want, sex in, in uh, physical therapy that um, are important. Um, but in my world, I think we we really deal with movement strategies, and I think I think we hopefully are the best at it. I, I really do. I think in our schoolwork, in our um, school programs, and post education uh, courses, I think uh, I think we have a good grasp on addressing movement strategies. Um, what do people most commonly come see you for then? Mm. Uh, so I think complex movement. That's, that's, it feels like a big, <laughs> yeah, a big genre. <laughs> I think, uh, well, physical therapists have to kind of do their time, right? So when you get out of physical therapy school, I got a doctorate degree uh, 16 years ago, and you, you realize fairly soon after getting your degree and started treating people that the knowledge is probably uh, that you received in school uh, needs to be uh, further advanced. And so, uh, yeah, so you start moving in, into certain directions where you see lots of basic injuries because putting it all together all at once is very confusing, of course. right? Yeah. And so you get to that seven to 10 year mark and you start uh, visually and you start uh, in a complex way putting all that, those movement pieces together and you're able to understand that there are contributing reasons to a primary problem. And that's the way we do things here at Build is we, we, we address the main movement problem, um, but we also address, you know, uh, something that uh, is further up the chain or further down the chain that is affecting um, the, the main problem. You know, when it comes to cyclists, you can have a problem with your wrist and that can affect your, your knee, you know, just because you're unloading one side and that causes you to lean to one side, which causes you to move your knee further into one side. And so, but putting that together in the very beginning is very difficult. Of course. So now, um, I, I love the complex um, issues. And so I think a lot of people come to me um, when they probably have seen a, a quite a few other people, um, mm -hmm. quite a few other PTs or chiropractors, acupuncturists, and they're looking for kind of that, the next step of diagnosis. Huh. So not just the immediate fix. It's like, well, maybe this has been reoccurring and I yeah. need to look deeper. Yeah. So I don't get a ton of, uh, I was running on a trail and I sprained my ankle yeah. Yeah. Um, because I landed on a rock wrong. Yeah. Um, I get more, um, I keep spraining my ankle hmm. and I don't know why. Huh. So the more complex puzzles, that has to be fun. Yeah. That's yeah. fun stuff. I like that. Um, are there things that you wish athletes would see you more for? Oh. Uh, uh, I don't know. 
That's I don't know that answer. That's all right. That's uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That just seems uh, what uh, I don't. I'm happy with what I get right now. I think. Okay. Yeah, I like that. All right. I mean, it's. I, I guess I asked that because. Um, I guess that goes back to what I was asking before about um, athletes coming in a little too late or when uh, things are too far progressed. Um, And you always wonder as an athlete, once you get to an injury of like, well, could I have done something different? Could I have avoided this? Um, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And also I guess that same light of how do I keep this from happening again? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I wish I think, um, I think today's medical, um, model probably doesn't help a lot of athletes. Hmm. Uh, I think there would be, uh, and it doesn't help a lot of clinicians, frankly, uh, which is there needs to be a better way to help people, uh, address problems more consistently. Uh, I think there, uh, there, there is the perception of what physical therapy is, is that it's, um, you go to physical therapy twice a week, two to three times a week for six to eight weeks, and then you're done. Well, wouldn't it be great if we could address issues as they come up and we could, you know, make modifications or continue to address things before they show up. So yes, I think I would like to see people addressing uh, deficits before they are a soreness, mm-hmm. right? I love that. I, people come to me for a running gait analysis or a bike fit and I'll say, do you have an injury? And they're like, nope, I'm good. I just want to get faster. So that's their main problem. They want to get faster. So then I start saying, well, what's contributing to that main problem? Is it diet? Is it sleep? Is it the, um, a lack of strength, lack of flexibility? You know, some people realize they have a stop, right? So they they start riding a bike and they are um, riding, 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 training, 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 but they don't get any faster. And so they like want to know why. Why can't I go faster? And so sometimes it is a, as a position problem. Sometimes it's a strength problem. Sometimes it's a training problem. And so again, that puzzle is yeah, fun, yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I do w- wish that people would come see me sooner because uh, I hate to say it, but I can find something wrong with anybody, but I can also find a lot of good things. And if you can exploit those good things and help those good things contribute to those bad things, problems, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, and I think people really enjoy learning about, um, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And if they have those tools, they're going to make better choices about their movement strategies. They just are. Yeah. I like the side, like there's multiple sides to a puzzle. Like there's, mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, I guess it's class half full class, half empty. But when you chat with an athlete and trying to source their quote unquote problem or issue, yeah. um, you know, even when if I'm, if I'm having consultations with athletes and they're like, this is what I want to get better at. I have to be like, well, we need to source your strengths and your weaknesses and target both because if you lax on either or you might lose a little bit. So it's, uh, I think that's mm-hmm. what makes also working with athletes so fascinating and, and different coaches, um, regardless of where you land, mm-hmm. I think approach that differently where they might say, well, I, I'm heavier towards strengths or I'm heavier towards weaknesses. Do, yeah. you, do you feel like, um, if you're working with an athlete, do you feel like you're leaning one way or the other? Hmm. That's an interesting, odd question to, yeah, to no, ask. That's really good. So, I mean, like I said before, I, l- I learn every day, and and when it comes to strength and w- strengths and weaknesses, uh, uh, I don't see that I feel that I 
move towards one or the other. Um, I, I really do enjoy uh, the positive part of what I do, which is um, there's hope, right? There's hope for the next step. And that's what people want to hear, right? That's yeah. what I want to see. I want to <laughs> see that, uh, wow, you've got this really um, limited hip or you have this really limited ankle. And people say, I, I had no idea. I, I know I had an ankle injury or a, a hip injury. Um, is there anything you can do for me? I'm like, yeah, I can do a ton for you. I can make that better. And uh, that's the positive twist to this is that you can, um, you can project the positive outlook. And uh, I feel like I got off track there. No, I mean, like, <laughs> I would venture to say that when you have athletes coming to you that are injured or are concerned, yeah. they're probably very much clouded in like a shroud of, yeah. of uh, worry. I guess, yeah. and concern. Yeah. And then, so if you are able to illuminate any sort of positivity that's or uh, light, then that that's probably huge, yeah. I would assume. I mean, you know, people will ask me all the time, from patients to clients, on patients, they have an injury, right? And they'll sometimes will say after a course of a few weeks, they'll say, I don't know if I'm getting better. Because it's hard to self-analyze yourself. Mm -hmm. And just breaking down the pieces, you know, your range of motion's better, your strength is better, your balance is better. Um, and breaking down the data again, giving numbers, you've improved. And, and once you go through all those different categories of, or elements of movement and they slow, slowly start to smile and say, yeah, I'm better. Right. They still, they, they understand that there's a quantitative and, and overall quality that's improved. Hmm. And, um, I wish everybody looked at that. Really, because there's there's potential for everybody to, to get good at so many different pieces of what they do, right? Yeah. Sometimes it is time and money. Um, but I think, uh, then going back to the, the medical model, I, d I really do wish we could figure out how to help everybody. Fix that. Or, yeah. Yeah. I will say that, like, so I asked you the question of what is, um, basically, what is a PT to you? What does that mean to you? Um, and I, my instant like thought of what comes to mind when I think of a physical therapist is actually, um, the most interaction I had with a physical therapist outside of you was, uh, my wife had surgery. That was a pretty, uh, extensive surgery. And she worked with a physical therapist. Um, just like you said, like basically three times a week for, I think it was six weeks yeah. and that was it. And then, uh, she would, you know, still email back and forth that there was some issues. And she went in a couple times after that, block but mm. um yeah it really is a medical world where it's like okay you a physical therapist is this person you see after a really traumatic thing mm -hmm. only until you're better mm -hmm. and then you're unleashed into the world and then you might have like a, a printout of exercises to sort of help you um <laughs> right which no one does which no one does <laughs> so it's um for her credit she did sometimes right um but you know, that's, I, I agree with you. I think that that is a kind of like broken mentality. Um, how, what, what do you think can be changed with it? Well, I, I, you know, you're so right about, there's an old structure of the way physical therapists and the medical model um, has been playing out for many years, decades, right? Which is um, get someone to a functional level, hmm. right? So actually I was taught that in PT school, which is get someone to a functional level. Um, you riding 110 miles at a advanced level on your road bike is not 
functional. functional. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So that's not something that's really allowed in, you know, I suppose when it comes to third payer insurance, which is uh, no one really wants to pay for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so then that's called coaching, I suppose. And uh, so uh, wouldn't it be great if we could figure out how oh, we have it right here? I think yeah. you know, yeah. that uh, and we're a cash based company. Right. So it is about trying to go to that next level trying to break that mold of not just function, but what somebody wants, yeah. what's, what somebody needs. So uh, there, that's one of my main questions when I interview anybody in the first five minutes, which is what are you looking for? And that means what, does th- what do they need, right? So if you want to be a professional cyclist, you have physical needs. It's a job. And so you should be able to um, obtain that. Um, and sometimes it takes a specialist, somebody that has a lot of education and may have a, um, a physical therapy degree, and it, that should be accessible to anybody. Do you feel like most people, so when they come in the door and that you have that initial uh, chat with them and you ask them, what do you need? Do you feel like most athletes really truly know what they need or most mm-hmm. individuals know that? Yeah. Um, well, I think they're the numbers. They could say, yeah. <laughs> I need to be this fast. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and that's kind of, uh, you know, when a coach hears that they can break down uh, fuel systems, they can break down training, they can, you know, make those promises that way. What I unfortunately can't do with biomechanics all the time is say, you're going to get this many more watts. Right, right, right. Right. (laughs) You can, uh, you can say that you're going to be riding more comfortable and you're going to have less pain. You're going to have less stress in your body. Right. And, um, but the reality for me is is that I'm going to reduce problems that you already that you, that you didn't know you had. Yeah. And I'm going to use basic bike fit techniques. And I know that I'm going to get you pretty squared away on your bike. Um, it might not be the most optimal for aerodynamics because maybe you don't, your body can't tolerate it. And I, I think that's kind of the, the, where there is a little bit of friction between the coaching world and, and yep. my world, which yeah, is definitely. the coach wants aerodynamics. The coach wants bigger crank arms the coach wants um a smaller saddle uh smaller handlebars closer aero bars pads elbow pads there there's a need to to make speed out of stressing the body and if you can do that without over um, tasking the body and, and abusing someone's tolerance to that stress maybe you can get by with it but my job is really to understand the stress on the body and, and determine whether or not they can tolerate it. Hmm. And uh, so sometimes it doesn't mix, sometimes. Hmm. Um, but, you know, some people are all about, I, I'm going to make, this is my last year, I'm going to really just hammer it, and I don't Do it care. anyways, yeah. You know? There's lots of people that in just PT world will get a diagnosis and have a surgery date two months down the road, and they're going to they're gonna do everything they can and enjoy the last two months and because it's going to get fixed anyway. Yeah, what a crazy thought process, <laughs> at least for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will, I will say, like, the that's interesting that you well, – I mean, two comments. I guess the first one is I, I would say regularly I get the question of what do you think my increase can be or what, like, wattage or percentage of my FTP do you think I can get? And it's sure. – uh, that's always – yeah, that's funny that that crosses both worlds. Um, but the as far as CDA goes, I – 
um, did testing uh, a while back um, at the Olympic Training Center for my CDA mm-hmm. and to um, do some testing on some equipment. And they, uh, what they found was I could increase my CDA, which is mm-hmm. my basically my aerodynamics, um, but I couldn't sustain it. And my power would drop, my speed would drop. I just like couldn't hold the position. That's and when I couldn't hold it, you would lose that aerodynamics. And I think that is something that um, I see all the time with athletes is just, oh, I can make my body lower. I can make my uh, position better. I can do this and I do this and I do this. And then all of a sudden they're like so closed off that they can't, one, they can't hold it. So they get out of the sticks all the time. And then two, they, maybe their hip angle is just like yeah, the right. size of an, an ant and then they can't move. So yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's always that interesting balance. So what did you think when you found that out? Um, I thought, well, at the time I had the thought process of like, ah, oh, what if I had two months, I could mm, just like right. work on this for two months. And that was hypothetical, but uh, it just happened to be in the middle of the race season. So that wasn't possible. Um, so I didn't end up making that adjustment, but it was, uh, yeah, I think that was the the perfectionist athlete in me that came out that was like, I don't care. I, yeah. can, I can be faster. I just yep. need to force it. And it's, um, I'm kind of glad I, I took the realistic approach in that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the sacrifices we make, right? I, I, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the two seconds or whatever yeah. it might have been. That's right. uh, okay, so, in, so basically we've already touched on it a good bit. Um, but, you know, why is physical therapy important to athletes? Um, and yeah, what can be changed? Cause we have, uh, you know, athletes in general have this again, concept of, we need this for injury relief. What can be, what can physical therapy be used? Um, or how can you be used to athletes, um, before the injury begins? Like yeah. what, what do you wish athletes, you know, used you for? Sure. And I, I get this all the time where, uh, Athletes will come and say, I wish I would have done this sooner. Yeah. I, I, I'm with all my bike fits, I would say, and running gait analysis, I think 50% will say, I really wish I would have done this a long time ago. Wow. Because it's the knowledge that they get from just the, the physical assessment where they get, you know, a list of their, their strengths and their weaknesses, uh, and st- a permanent list they can always work on. Um, that's super valuable to them. But they also learn about how those problems um, are contributing to their overall problem, whether or not it's an injury or not. And I think um, if people would just come in and and just do that initial bike fit or running gait analysis, their lives would be turned. Uh, and I, I say turn because it, it can be pretty pivotal, pivotal. Yeah. Right. And so I think the people that consistently do bike fits, um, are dealing with transitions in their lives, whether or not they injure themselves, um, they're aging, um, they're switching sports or added a sport or added an activity, pregnancies. You know, there's so many things that when people are, are they, they use bike fit or running analysis as a tool to maintain, but then there's the people that just don't use it and then come here and are just baffled by how different their perception about position can be. Hmm. And uh, I think I would encourage anybody to pursue services like mine, but physical therapists in general, because a physical therapist is going to be able to point those problems out. Um, 
But I think uh, people have to be a little bit choosy when they come to um, uh, every physical therapist. I think someone that has a good sound background in orthopedics and um, and complex issues, I think, is someone that people should look for towards. Um, if someone just wants to address their injury and make the injury go away, then they probably should look elsewhere. Hmm. What about like long-term relationships then? Sure, that's huge, right? Because you, you develop a long-term relationship with a clinic and a clinician or clinicians in that clinic. Um, and you're gonna have data forever, right? You have numbers. You have numbers about where you were at a year or two ago and everybody gets injured. We all get some fall or something. And then there's um, a spot to, it's a baseline. So you can always go back to your baseline and restore that, um, which I think kind of gets missed when we just, we ha- you're like your wife, right? Does she have uh, an idea of what was restored? Did she get a physical therapy examination before? And did they have a comparison afterwards, hmm. right? Because the body doesn't know where to go. The body doesn't have a genetic code to tell you that you need to be um, pushing that much load resistance with your quad or your your glutes or whatever. It, it doesn't know this. And a physical therapist um, should be able to get you, uh, should be able to restore strength, flexibility, all that stuff, but it's good to have numbers as well. So when you develop a relationship with a place like this, you're going to get numbers. You're going to get um, a good assessment of baseline where you're at. And so that relationship is, is critical. Mm-hmm. And I think also the investment in of some organization that really cares about movement. I think that's what we promise too. We, we are genuinely like people that move. We, we want to see people move well. I'm, I'm frustrated in airports because I, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, people are, uh, you see all the time, (laughs) you see how crazy people, you know, are just moving very poorly. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't love as a coach to have uh, yeah, I mean, to offer that to an athlete as well. I mean, any, any sort of, uh, full package within that scenario, I think is, is super smart and, and something that, um, it's hard, I guess, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something that people, as you mentioned, like, I wish I would have done this sooner. They don't know, or they don't think about it, or they don't, uh, you know, they don't invest in it yeah. until it's, too late or to the point where, you know, they are trying to fix an injury or something like that. Um, yeah. I wonder if like, you know, in the future that can be something that's, uh, provided to athletes, uh, as a initial service. And I think you are doing a little, cause you, you're providing some of that too, within like the junior teams that you guys are doing as well. So that's, I mean, like starting with youth is huge. Yeah. Um, That's what we try to do with our, um, so we have a team here, and then we also are sponsoring Team Colorado's um, road cyclist team, uh, creating a baseline, whether or not it's a physiological baseline um, through our coaching services here or body composition or their their biomechanics or um, the physical assessment, right? Just these are the things you need to work on. These are the things that um, will make life easier for you as you go on, right? So that's kind of that biological profile that mm. – um, I mean, I wish I had that in high yeah. school. Yeah. Did you have that? No, no. Right. <laughs> I, didn't you had a, I remember, uh, you know, a coach saying, you know, 
you you're all over the place. Why you know it's yeah. like why you move straight, dribble the yeah. ball this way? You know? <laughs> yeah, move straighter. Why are you running so slow? Yeah, but uh, but to get definitive baselines at this age and to, to watch it grow over the years along with your body and maturing as you're going through um, puberty yep. and, and entering adulthood, I think is is really important. And I'm I'm really excited for the next phase of these like like for instance our bike team which. Um, where you get uh, this development path, right? There's no promises, but we're trying to work with their bodies, we're trying to work with their diet and and sleep and teach them all components to gather it all together um, slowly so it sinks in with minimal amount of dialogue so that it's not too complex and help them progress, but also give them a paper trail um, that helps them understand what they've done and accomplished. Hmm. Well, that was actually one of my next questions was essentially if you uh, believe that, you know, strength training and or that uh, platform or bread crumbs, as you as you called it, is worth it for all ages and from all backgrounds. Sure. So when it comes to strength, I, I really believe that strength is valuable, but I also believe that uh, form and um, skill are just as valuable, right? So uh, a long time ago, I had a coach say to me, um, practice does not make perfect, practice makes permanent. I like that. Right? And so <laughs> I was 14, I was at basketball camp, and I remember thinking, that's brilliant. Because what it means is that you can practice wrong or you can practice right, but whatever way you practice, uh, you're going to make it permanent if you continue to do it. And so when it comes to 14, 13, I think you should be working on form. And I think you should be using light weights. When you get older, obviously that is more important to develop that um, structure around the uh, adult forming joints and, and the tissue that needs that, that um, feedback to get stronger as you mature. And um, so, yeah, strengthening is huge. You know, like for, in, for instance, cycling. We, uh, our cycling team this winter did a 10-week uh, strength course here where they did circuit training. And we did a huge emphasis on um, balance, um, not necessarily focused towards a bike, but also uh, strength stability, uh, shoulder strength stability, um, and then the usual suspects like glute strength and lateral control, that kind of stuff. But Shoulder stability, who works on shoulder stability? I think we do planks and we do some push-ups and stuff like that, but we really worked on kind of that rotational stability, lateral stability, um, impact, reaction stability, that kind of stuff with shoulders. For our mountain bikers, I think it's going to make an impact. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, balance, who works on balance and multiple tasks. You know, working on uh, upper extremity and torso balance, working on, like, uh, an overall uh, – vestibular balance, doing a secondary task. That's huge. And this was your junior team, right? Yeah, our junior team, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and to watch those components, just those two components grow over time, these kids, they were like, this is crazy. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. I never thought I was this strong. Yeah. And now you get to see the rewards, right? So now they ride outside and, and downhill, amazing. Uh, uh, sprinting, amazing, uh, because they get... They, they've worked on pieces, and that, that alone, they got to see that working on pieces of strength, which they, saw, they thought was fun and kind of silly, 
now is making a big difference. And it, yeah, and it's fun and it's variety. It's variety. And it's, fun. I think that is something that is so commonly underlooked, um, within just, yeah, junior development sports and, and in general, just because, uh, yeah, I mean, cycling, as you mentioned, running, as you mentioned, it's just very rhythmic. It's very, mm. uh, monotonous and, and repetitive. And I guess most sports are, but, um, you can be doing something wrong. And then I think what's also interesting is that you, uh, you know, throwing in a variety of strength training that doesn't need to be you going to the gym and doing bench press. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, uh, when I was doing soccer and track and field when I was mm-hmm. young, that was, that was what you did. You yeah. went to the gym and you did bench press, um, and you, uh, you know, maybe moved stuff around with your legs, but it was literally like, just, ah, uh, we lift heavy stuff. Yeah. And that's, that was the concept. <laughs> and I think like, this is, huge and really progressive and it doesn't need to be this like laborsome go to the gym and no. and uh clank around big weights so right. yeah some of that's important but right. you know but mixing it up it's very valuable yeah yeah especially in a world where uh yeah we need to have more variety yeah. definitely more fun yeah fun's good <laughs> fun is definitely good um so you know what i find super fascinating is basically when i did a fit by you 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 know, of course did the standard, you know, put my bike up, uh, put different points on me, like measure a couple things and then, um, watch me ride. And then you also viewed me off the bike, which I think was, um, I think it was the only time I had ever had a fitter do that. Wow. Actually. Um, and, and I had other fitters do flexibility range, um, had done, you know, other, like seeing pelvic rotation stuff like that but it wasn't uh you know do a squat do other different activations so i can see what you're predominantly doing um and i i mean like other fitters have done different muscle activation uh within technology but that's like Mm. you were the first person that had that off the cuff which is very cool so that goes along with the lines of building this all right you want to be um, we're doing this bike fit and that's, and that's what you want. You want to be effective on the bike, but you know, maybe at the same time I can provide this service of creating this biomechanics profile of you, um, how you operate and maybe what could be coming your way. And mm-hmm. I think that is phenomenal. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So what made you come up with that? Why did you, why did you, where did you come up with that? Well, so I think to give credit where credit is due, you know, I, you know, I worked at Boulder Center Sports Medicine and trained by some really credible people. Um, and then expanding on that, right? So using uh, physical therapy techniques and, and again, like I said before, learning, just again, I learn every day. And um, if I find something that I think is contributing to something uh, while you're riding or running or whatever sport it is, it's worth trying to figure out if that needs to be within the assessment, right? Uh, sometimes I do think that uh, I'm working myself out of a job when it comes to <laughs> the complexity of trying to figure everything out, uh, because you can't. You can't figure everything out. but. Um, I think it's worth exploring every route of, uh, of an issue with an individual. But I have a standard uh, group of tests that I do with everybody. It's kind of like a skeleton uh, of, of tests um, that I pretty much do with everything. And, and then I expand out based off their needs, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm working with a, a downhill mountain biker, I know they, they need shoulder stability. They need... Uh, glute strength, right? And they need torso uh, rotational strength. Um, 
because those are the demands that they need. And so then I will I'll expand outside of that examination um, just with my own thought process and clinical judgment to look at, their, at that part of their body um, just to kind of denote that that's important. Um, road cyclists, a lot different, right? There's some needs that, you know, when it comes to sprinters or, or uh, hill climb specialists or GC specialists, that's different. Yeah. Right. So but that takes the interview. Right. That takes getting to know that person. And um, so um, I think my initial training, uh, which I started in 2008, um, I learned the skeleton exam. Right. I learned how to to look at the basics, straight leg raise, hip range of motion, torso movement, um, some shoulder stuff, some neck stuff. Um, but since then, I've really um, have expanded that. Uh, to a great extent, but able to flex out if I need to. Because um, I think it's important to address individual qualities of each person. Yeah, everyone's individual. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. All right, last question I want to throw your way. Last question. Last question. I know. Um, <laughs> That's been good. So basically, um, three evils. Um, so what are the most common injuries that you see and we'll go with three so what are the three most common injuries that you see so on cycling i think it's uh well cycling and running uh knees are just critical right these are the kind of that unprotected big joint that is surrounded by a fairly stable ankle ankle foot motion and fairly stable hip so whatever they want to do the knees virtually at their disposal and so the knees typically with runners and cyclists a major one backs are also uh, a major uh, uh, running problem um, that's typically controlled by a lack of core with runners, um, a lack of hip mobility, tight hip flexors, that kind of stuff kind of rips up the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with cyclists, uh, the back is at, at the will of either the bike position, poor saddles, uh, asymmetrical ankles, uh, mm-hmm. asymmetrical uh, hip range of motion, Anything that's not um, capable of of uh, going around the pedal stroke uh, smoothly is going to translate into some type of motion throughout the back. Uh, and then cyclists, I think it's a toss-up between shoulders and neck, but I think necks, when it comes to cyclists, are one of those people that anyone would say, like, sure, if I ride three hours, my shoulders and my neck are sore. Um, with runners, uh, it could be the foot. You know, the foot, there's lots of pressures on the foot that um, people just, and I think there's a lot of information too that's unfortunately with runners, they uh, they get um, running techniques that kind of facilitate loading the foot too much. You know, hmm. people like to lean forward and, and really load the foot, and that, that brings on plantar fasciitis, uh, Achilles tendonitis, um, calf issues, um, nerve issues in the foot, bad shoe wear, that kind of stuff. So, uh, those are my three. Yeah. I like it. Uh, yeah, I think I've had all of those on the, on the cycling (laughs) side. Um, do you think the back on the cycling side is, uh, core related? Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, it's really interesting because there is two different breeds when it comes to a professional cyclist like yourself, um, that's been molding your back for a long time. You develop a certain amount of tolerance to, uh, mold your back in different ways that, that 
people that take it on uh, in a non-professional way in their 20s that they can't tolerate and they yeah. never get to. So they need to have a strong core to be able to stabilize so they don't hurt themselves. Whereas guys like you, you've kind of molded some of your bones and molded some of your muscles <laughs> that you can tolerate a ton. Yeah. And so there's different animals when it comes to that. So um, the back is uh, uh, always at a consequence, whether it's gear or uh, their core. Uh, core is a, is a tough one because uh, there's so many different riding skills that uh, between mountain bikers and road bikers, I mean, there's just a ton of different now that everybody has a dropper post too, <laughs> and there's, there's a ton of core issues, yeah. right? I can't stabilize over a saddle like some of these guys that have had dropper posts for five, ten years. Yeah, you know. Um, so, yeah. it's I think uh, a little bit ago, maybe like two years ago, when I was having some back problems during some races, I caught myself saying like, "Ah, it's just the first hard race of the year." Mm-hmm. Um, it'll get better once I get used to that. And it's like, you know, maybe it's probably not the best like mentality of, Hey, it'll just, I just need to grunt through it for a bit, or maybe you should be ready for it by the first race instead. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, holding everything together when it comes to the core, uh, someone like yourself, for instance, uh, a professional might really put a lot of effort into leg strength (laughs) throughout the winter. And they, they put the standard planks, standard core stuff, set up stuff like that. But let's say you add 5% leg strength, just bulk strength, and you become more of a sprinter or a power rider, or you do a different type, you become a cross rider or something like that. Um, yeah, your core is at, at mercy of yeah. those power legs now. Yeah. And so that first ride, first race, could be very detrimental to your back. Yeah, yeah. and that's exactly right. I think that's what it was. It was a bunch of circuit hard punchy circuit races yeah. <laughs> that I was sprinting out of every corner. So yeah, that fits the, <laughs> that fits the mold. Um, all right. Then to balance that question of the three most common injuries, um, and the three evils then, and this is, I know this is vague, but, um, or broad, but what are three things that you would have every athlete do if you could? Hmm. So I think, uh, I've been saying this for years about uh, just backs in general. Uh, I think uh, every athlete in the younger years should really have any physical therapist talked about core and talk about how they can go beyond sit-ups, planks. Uh, I think every athlete should learn how to correctly turn on their core. And I think it is, uh, you know, everybody knows how to do bicep curl. Everyone knows how to do a leg curl leg press uh, and they know the muscles name and they uh, they know where their their attachments are like what bones they are connected to and and they can touch it right but when it comes to core uh, I, no one knows what it is it's the word core right <laughs> and so when you ask people what are the muscles they don't know when I ask them where they're attached they don't know and they ask them how best they can contract them in what direction they don't know uh, but it's we do we do uh, crunches and we do side planks and we do all these things. But wouldn't it be great if we just learned about their names and everybody in the world? If if you know if the government was to say every high schooler needs to learn how to t- 
test out of core exercises, know the muscle names, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, the country would be better off with, you know, the largest um, injury uh, in the United States is, is uh, orthopedically is low backs. Yeah. And uh, if we all knew more about it, which we don't. At all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we would do better. I like that. Okay. That's one. All right. How many do I have to do? Three. So Three? two more. Yeah. Oh two. My gosh. <laughs> all right. Or, uh, uh, oh, glutes, right? So. People know enough about glutes and why they they're important. That's a big term. People yep. know glutes are the butt. Yeah, and, it's just uh, your butt. <laughs> so, but no one has strong glutes. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, so, if, if athletes were to make an effort to uh, learn specifically how they operate and stabilize with their new core, then uh, I think it would be people would be much better off. Okay, and third one. Ah. Uh, feet oh interesting yeah right so runners and i'm gonna say this to your audience <laughs> how many runners know one muscle in their foot oh just one one muscle name one do you can you name one i don't think i can actually right? <laughs> and what and and so there are multiple muscles in your foot i'm not going to go over them but uh and the structure of your foot Right, we all can probably name one brand of a shoe. Oh, definitely. Right, hundred percent. Maybe two or three. Yeah, but not one muscle of the foot. How is that possible? So, for runners, if they knew uh, how to strengthen their feet and keep their feet healthy, they would have a much better life, and they would be able to make better choices with their shoes because of it, and not just like be defensive about what shoes they need to wear to save their feet. You have the ability to save your feet. Learn how to strengthen your feet and learn how to mobilize your joints of your feet as well. There's, there's really good, some easy techniques to use when it comes to feet. Mobilize your, your toes. Make your toes move before you go for a run. Um, take care of your feet. If you start to see calluses and breakdown, that's, that's a sign. It's too much wear. Um, feet. Cyclists as well. Cyclists wear too thin of shoes. If you have, if you're in a shoe store or a bike shop and you put your foot down and you notice that your foot is wider than your shoe, don't buy those shoes. It happens all the time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Those are, those are good. I would say that in general, uh, athletes, and I'm speaking for a wide array of individuals at this point, but just think of like the primary muscle groups and or whatever they've been having to train lately. And that is usually like the quad and sure. the calf and like other, other basic things. Um, so yeah, I agree with you hundred yeah. percent train the things that you might not necessarily think of. Um, well, awesome. Thank you, Larry. Um, yeah. thank you for chatting with me and, and going through just in general. I think it's, it's cool to hear this stuff and it's interesting to me. Yeah, so. it's been fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed these podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. Also find us on Instagram at Training Edge Pod. Have a wonderful week and see you guys next week. Till then, keep finding your edge.